and welcome to another Lancet Psychiatry podcast. My name is Niall Boyce, I'm the editor, and today we're talking about virtual reality. Now, virtual reality was the subject of newspaper articles, documentaries, and science fiction films uh, 25 years ago, and then nothing. However, recently there's been a resurgence in the interest in virtual reality in the electronics industry, the entertainment industry, and now in mental health research. So uh, I'm very pleased to be joined today by uh, the lead author from a Lancet Psychiatry paper called Automated Psychological Therapy Using Immersive Virtual Reality for Treatment of Fear of Heights, a Single Blind Parallel Group Randomized Controlled Trial. And that is an open access paper. You can read it on our website. The author is, of course, Daniel Freeman from Oxford University. Hello, Dan. Hello. So my first question is this. What advantage does virtual reality have over good old-fashioned reality? <laughs> uh, it has an amazing potential, I think, extraordinary potential here. Because there's a real issue. We all know that many people have mental health problems, perhaps one in five of the population any time. Yet most of them don't get treatment. And if they do get treatment, it's often medication when Often psychological treatment can be the most effective um, treatment and also the preference of individuals. Um, so there's a real issue about how do we get the very best psychological treatment to as many people as possible. And I think VR is an incredible way potentially to get so many more people access to the very best psychological treatments. And we've done that by uh, automating the delivery of therapy using virtual reality. So let's talk about the, the trial. The first thing which I'm interested in really is is the treatment which you offered. You were treating people for fear of heights. You were using virtual reality for this. So the scenario, I think I've used it actually in your lab, consists of a platform which you then gradually crank up. So you may have seen further. some old VR yes. a while ago. We spent uh, a lot of time uh, doing something that's not happened with uh, VR mental health treatment before. Previously, VR, and in fact for the last 25 years, has been used with therapists there and basically for exposure therapy. So the therapist is still in the room and it just saves going outside to the real stimulus. And of course, that still relies on finding a really good therapist. So what we've done, um, we've reprogrammed a basically six-session treatment there's a virtual coach who guides you through the treatment and provides reassurance and clinical advice and also uh, gets feedback so it tailors the treatment. And it starts off with an assessment session where the uh, virtual guide uh, explains uh, what keeps uh, fears of heights going um, and explains the treatment. So you do an assessment and, get, and you get feedback. And then you're taken into this sort of large office block, virtual office block with 10 floors. and um, you get to choose which floor you want to start off with, but we, we restrict it to one of the lower floors. And then you basically go up the floors doing a series of different tasks, and they vary. Sometimes it's just going near the edge, and the barrier comes down. And later on, it gets more difficult going on a platform to rescue a cat, or sometimes we get you sort of throwing things off the edge. But a whole range of tasks that help people understand their fears, their cognitions that are, are about heights uh, are inaccurate when you've got fear of heights. So people often fear the building's going to collapse or they're going to throw themselves off, they're going to fall off in some way. And we have a whole range of tasks near virtual heights that helps the person to uh, test out their expectations and form new memories of safety around heights. Okay, and the cat gets rescued? It does. Occasionally it's been dropped. Oh, oh dear. Okay, well, we'll move swiftly onwards. Yeah. So how many people did you recruit into this trial? So it was 100 people. Uh, 
and they were recruited via playing radio ads in Oxfordshire. Um, and they all had at least a moderate uh, fear of heights. Most of them uh, met the criteria for acrophobia. And you then randomised them into two groups. You've described your intervention. The control group, what exactly happened there? Uh, that was treatment as usual, which okay. in effect was, was nothing. And no one was okay. really getting treatment for the fear of heights. You ran the trial for six sessions over how many weeks? Uh, over a fortnight. Fortnight, right. And then you followed up at what time point? Uh, another couple of weeks after treatment. So we did both post-treatment and then two weeks later. And what did you find? Um, the results were extraordinarily good. On average, the reduction in fear of heights was 68%. Um, another way of putting this is that half of the participants had a reduction in fear of heights of at least three quarters. Um, three quarters of the participants had a reduction in fear of heights by at least a half. And 90% had a reduction by at least a quarter in their fear of heights. So the effect size is, is two, which is extraordinarily good. And what about adverse events? There were no adverse events in this group. Okay, so moving forward with this, I think the thing which I always find interesting about um, digital mental health interventions, which are almost removing the therapist from, from therapies, is that uh, one thing which keeps being repeated is the dodo bird effect, that what matters is the therapeutic relationship, not the individual type of therapy. So how does this work when we don't have a therapist? Well, I, I, I guess... First, I don't really believe in the dodo effect. I think there are certainly studies that show if you've got uh, a very good treatment, and David Clark's PTSD treatment, Uncle Elias, their, their treatment of PTSD and social anxiety, those treatments, I think, have been shown to be better than other treatments. I think the right treatments uh, are better uh, than others. Um, so it isn't necessarily sufficient just to have a, a warm and engaging therapist. Um, and therefore, it's delivery of the techniques matters. matters. But of course, you need a good uh, therapeutic uh, engagement even to deliver those treatments as well. So the therapeutic relationship is important. But of course, that's one model of doing things. There's no reason why there are other ways to access the psychological process that underlie disorders. And of course, it's also the case that many people are put off by seeing a real therapist. Now, I, know I think we need more therapists, more highly skilled therapists doing the right treatments. But if we're going to meet this huge unmet need for mental health difficulties, we're going to need technological innovations. And I think VR actually potentially could be fast and more potent than many face-to-face -face therapies because it goes right at the heart of what I think is characterizes the best treatments, which is about making change in day-to-day -day life. All mental health problems play out in day-to-day -day situations. And I think the best therapy coaches people in those situations to think, feel, and behave differently. And VR, that's exactly what we do. We recreate the simulations of the situations that trouble people. They find it easier to go into these situations than they're not that real. We can push it to the extremes of doing things like rescuing cat on a, on a platform you'd never do in real life. You can really push it, and yet the learning you make then transfers to the real world. So it's taking the sorts of visualizations which have been used previously in phobia therapies and moving them into, into a virtual environment. I think you could say this. I mean, VR is more powerful than that. It's hard to understand how good VR is until you've actually been in it. It's still tough doing our VR work. We've got fun tasks, but you know, some of our patients in the trial, you know, they're starting off pretty much on their hands and knees by the edges of the heights. It, it, it's, it's hard work. They're sweating. So it feels more than just doing uh, imaginary work uh, in the clinic room. And with this virtual reality therapy at the moment, people are coming to your lab. Is it the case that this could be delivered at home? Because that would be the challenge, I think, for scale. 
Yeah, so this this actually was going to Oxford VR, which is a University of Oxford spin-out company's office, which is an ordinary office block near a train station. Um, and the equipment we're using is inexpensive uh, consumer equipment. So it can certainly be used at home. We're certainly also going to be doing some work at home for, for patients with this kind of kit too. So that's why things are really taking off in VR, because the investment of large companies such as uh, Facebook and Sony and Google as means the headsets are much cheaper they're usable at home and this means we could in the future provide these sorts of treatments at home. We know that phobias I'm oversimplifying a bit but they they tend to be a fairly straightforward model in terms of treatment they tend to be treatment response prevention and and that yeah that that's pretty much what, what's happening here what about more complex conditions like say psychosis i know that there's there's a great deal of controversy over psychological therapies in that area anyway but could you uh see vr being applied successfully there well i i, I think you may oversimplify the, the, the even the anxiety disorders work what i think actually makes the success of the treatments for anxiety disorders is not the simplicity of the disorder but the precision of the treatments the developers are very precise about what cognitions to go after and the sorts of behaviours that prevent the change um, are then have developed very powerful treatments that target though, that. And I think some of the problem with the psychosis work has been uh, the lack of the precision. But actually, if you apply that, I think pretty much to mental health, any mental health disorder, you get big change. And in psychosis, you're actually dealing with many of the same issues. Many patients with psychosis are left fearful, despite the best current treatments, they are frightened maybe because of voices or paranoia or, or social anxiety. They're frightened of situations and they withdraw, as people do when they're frightened. And actually, many of the same techniques we even use in the fear of heights are relevant for people with psychosis to get them back re-engaged in the world. We're again dealing with this kind of overlay of fear around uh, problems of psychosis. So in psychiatry, I think we're very used to seeing promising studies coming out and innovation. And that always seems to me to be some sort of barrier to actually getting these things into regular practice. What do you think the big barrier is for VR and how would you get around it or get over it? it it's an absolutely huge task to take a treatment from a research setting and, and apply it in practice. This week I uh, had a kickoff meeting for a new research project that we have that's funded by the NIHR. The uh, i for i research program has funded a large team of us uh, my team at Oxford, the Royal College of Arts, NHR Mindtech, uh, McPin Foundation, and many other partners to really gr get to grips with this issue. And we're doing a VR treatment for patients with psychosis. We're reprogramming everything from scratch using Oxford VR, using artists, using people from, from video games designed to make the treatment loved by both patients and staff. NHR Mindtech are doing a lot about the barriers, but also facilitators using VR in practice. We're doing all the health, health economic evaluation work on this too and developing a way to, to roll this out across the NHS because we do think and all our pilot data shows it's, it's a very powerful treatment and we think actually well I know from my experience patients really love it they love trying the new technology they have delight in when they find out actually working through these simulations affects their real world so it is a huge task to do we, we had a 30 odd people in the room debating all this there are many issues to do it the simple fact of finding a room sometimes in mental health services alone could be a problem although i think with some of kit we can do stuff at home you know and it's a change and and that's always hard to implement but um we're determined to do it over the next three years 
Thank you very much, Daniel Freeman. So perhaps one day the Lancet Psychiatry podcast will arrive in virtual reality, but for now I'll just say goodbye. Thanks for downloading, and I hope you'll join us again next time.